Monday, April 9th, Easter Monday, made an attack and drove Fritz back and killed and captured 3,000 prisoners and guns. Tuesday, April 10th, made it up to the front line held by 2nd Division. Wednesday, April 11th, made a patrol and connected with the left flank. B. Shad was wounded. Thursday, April 12th, 8.30, left new front line and went back to the original front line. April 13th, weather fine, rest. Welcome to Museum Chat Live, a fairly regular podcast series brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and Welland Canal Center. We're bringing you all things to do with St. Catharines, our history, and what's going on at our museum. Today, you're listening to... Kathleen Powell, Curator and Supervisor of Historical Services at the St. Catharines Museum. Adrian Petrie, Visitor Services Coordinator at the St. Catharines Museum. And Sarah Nixon, Public Programmer here at the museum. Welcome to Episode 5 of our podcast. Today, we're remembering Vimy Ridge. Today, we're talking about Vimy Ridge, and it's the 100th anniversary of the Battle of Vimy Ridge on Saturday, April 9th, and we think it's really important to recognize this uh, milestone anniversary in our country's history, and in order to do that, we've put together this podcast that will really take a look at how St. Catherine's soldiers participated in that battle. Today's podcast will include source material readings from the museum's collection that it really tells the story of Vimy Ridge from the words of the soldiers themselves. We'll also have a little bit of a discussion about uh, the importance of Vimy Ridge, a little bit of the history, and we're also going to talk a bit to Jim Hill, who is the former commanding officer of 10 Battery, who is going to talk a little bit about the importance of Vimy Ridge to his unit. At 5.30 a.m. on April 9th, the Canadian Artillery Barrage began while 15,000 infantrymen awaited their signal to go over the top. The Battle of Vimy Ridge was the first time that all four Canadian divisions fought alongside each other on the Western Front. The objective was a geographic high point in the Arras sector, which overlooked the Douai Plain, where the German forces were dug in. After three days of intense fighting and heavy losses, the Canadians reached their objective and captured the ridge. This action was the costliest single victory in Canadian military history, with 3,598 Canadians killed and 7,000 wounded. Vimy Ridge continues to be a symbol for Canadians of their courage and strength during the war, and the iconic memorial that stands on the ridge today is an enduring symbol of Canada's contributions in the Great War. At the top of the podcast, you heard Adrian reading a diary entry from George Hibben, a St. Catharines soldier who served at Vimy Ridge. Private George Hibben enlisted on January 15, 1915 in Clinton, Ontario, and upon reaching England was drafted to the 1st Battalion in France on August 8, 1915, and served at the front with the Scout Section. While at the front in 1917, he kept a personal diary in which he kept track of the weather and any interesting happenings from the day. Hibben was wounded twice, in 1916 and in 1918, both times of a relatively minor nature, and each time he returned to his unit at the front. He was discharged from the Canadian Expeditionary Force on April 23, 1919, and eventually settled in St. Catharines with his wife, Edith, 
where he worked for the Packard Electric Company. Next, you'll hear from the diary of Gunner Charles Mercer, 10 Battery, 3rd Brigade. Mercer was an upholsterer. He enlisted on August 9, 1914 in St. Catharines at the beginning of the war and went to Europe with the first contingent. He served at Vimy in April 1917, and later he suffered from a gunshot wound to the right knee and right arm on June 2, 1917, also at Vimy. April 9th. German guns opened up, and our men attacked at 5 a.m. on a front of about 10 miles, and advanced to a depth of about 2 miles, took hundreds of prisoners, captured Vimy Ridge, Toulouse, Farbus Wood, etc., also some guns, had orders to stay forward until relieved, slept in an old German dugout this night, Colonel Leonard killed. April 10th. Fight still on. We captured all our objectives. We were called in at 4 p.m. and came back to the battery, which had meanwhile advanced 1,000 yards. April 11th. Germans are retreating, and our men are following them up closely. On duty at QP, which we had in Farbus Wood, in an enemy gun position on top of Vimy. Returned to battery at night, Sergeant Butt was wounded. April 12th. We repositioned the guns, etc. Came on duty at battery at 5 p.m. April 13th. Enemy report to still be returning. German guns advanced again and came into position near Toulouse. I'm here today with Jim Hill, who is the superintendent for heritage for the Niagara Parks Commission and former battery commander of 10th Battery of the Royal Canadian Artillery. Jim, tell me a little bit about uh, your experience with Vimy Ridge. Well, I uh, visited Vimy Ridge, I guess, twice before, and uh, I think it's a place every Canadian once in their life should visit. Pretty powerful. The French treat it uh, reverentially, they, although they do take their dogs for walks and their kids for walks uh, on Vimy Ridge. It's a very peaceful, beautiful uh, place. The monument is very powerful. The young Canadians who staff it are, uh, are really good at their job of interpreting this important uh, story. And what's um, the most powerful thing about Vimy is all the names of the Canadians who have no known grave. The artillery played a major part in the Battle of Vimy Ridge, and as an artilleryman, uh, tell me a little bit about what that role was uh, in that action. Well, uh, as an offensive operation to take the ridge, the guns were massed to cause the most damage to the Germans. Um, but what had evolved throughout the war is just the sheer volume of guns, the volume of ammunition. And although this is really the Canadian Corps' uh, premier big battle, they're heavily supported by massive artillery formations by the British Army on both flanks. And some technology had changed too. So uh, the, uh, the Canadians had at their disposal uh, flash ranging and sound ranging that allowed them to locate the German guns. So in earlier battles and attacks, the German ar army was able to cause a lot of damage with their artillery. This shut down a lot of the German artillery. Uh, and just in general, the Canadian gunners not only had more guns and more ammunition, they had better fuses, better ammunition, uh, better communications, and they had a better sense of where the enemy was. They also put together a very elaborate but fairly well-executed um, 
fire plan, which is a common term still used today for the artillery, to, to plan step by step how uh, artillery fire was going to uh, support the uh, soldiers going forward in a creeping barrage. Was that something new to Vimy, or was that something new to that time of the war? Well, I think it had evolved over time. There had been attempts at uh, more complex fire plans, but uh, I think it had taken a couple of years for them to get their, uh, their act together. <laughs> Uh, the fact that uh, now the German artillery couldn't break up your attacks as effectively, um, and even the machine guns that the infantry had were used like artillery guns. They actually fired indirectly. So these machine guns didn't have to see their enemy, and they would select targets, uh, what would we would call um, interdiction fire. So there might be a crossroads two miles behind the German lines, and you know the machine gun bullets could reach it. And they'd set it to a certain elevation and a certain bearing of fire and simply fire bursts. And German supply troops and supply trains would suddenly have bullets raining down on them, killing horses and, and men, and had no idea where this, this fire was coming from. So everything from a machine gun to massive heavy guns were now being deployed uh, against the Germans, along with this other technology. And, and capability. They even tried to get some of the lighter artillery guns up front to knock out German machine gun positions, but the ground apparently was so uh, half frozen and muddy that it was hard to get those light guns up, up that close to the German lines. Tanks I don't think are used heavily at, at Vimy Ridge just because of the terrain. A little bit, but they weren't very effective. Yeah, because probably because you're just going up a hill that the tanks couldn't navigate very well. But at least the infantry in this battle had tunnels that allowed some of the assault forces to get much closer to the Germans, where in earlier battles you had to come through the communication trenches that could get clogged with uh, the wounded and dead coming back or uh, simply shelled by the, by the Germans so heavily that you couldn't get forward to, um, to take on the Germans. As a member of a modern-day artillery regiment who is... Uh, um, descended from a unit that fought at Vimy Ridge. What does this battle mean to you? Well, I'm, I'm so old, Kathy, that when I joined <laughs> the 10th Battery, there were uh, men alive uh, actually at the swearing-in ceremony who'd served in 10 Battery during the, the First World War. Wow. So I got to meet them. They were, would have been painfully young in some cases who, who served over there. Uh, and again, back to the... Uh, this was, for the gunners, this was hard work. So it's not surprising that a lot of the images of gunners from back then, they, they haven't got a shirt on. <laughs> so this is literally back-breaking work, uh, delivering what is essentially the scale of destruction and high explosives that is something the world had not seen before. Just the level of destructive force that reshaped the landscape, even the water tables in, in France, the fact that there's still millions of unexploded shells from World War I still in France and, and Belgium. Uh, this was something nobody had ever seen before. So when I think of the weapons these very young people went up against, uh, th this was all relatively new technology. So machine guns, uh, poison gas, high explosives, uh, and as we've talked about, just almost 18,000 Canadians who have no known grave who died in this war. So when you think of their parents, they have, you know, they, they had no idea what happened to their sons. 
uh, and that the force of the weapons employed literally pulverize the people, the, the villages, the land itself. And um, when I think of the service our soldiers have more recently done, whether it was peacekeeping operations 30 years ago or in Afghanistan, I think when guys have come back from that, they realize yeah, there was hazards and dangers involved, but not on the unbelievable day-to-day scale that these people faced 100 years ago. Jim, thank you so much for uh, being with us here today and for taking part in our podcast. John, better known as Jack House, was born in 1888 in Puerto Luzi. Leaving Queen's University to join the fight, Jack enlisted as a lieutenant in the 81st Battalion, CEF, on December 20th, 1915. He had previously been a member of the 19th Regiment for 10 years as a member of the militia. When Jack was in France, he spent most of his time in the trenches and participated in the Battle of Vimy Ridge, among other actions. While overseas, Jack wrote to his fiancée, Jane Aidy, once or twice a week, and his letters to her have been preserved in the collection of the Canadian War Museum. Upon his return to St. Catharines, Jack and Jane were married on June 26, 1918, at Knox Presbyterian Church. They lived in St. Catharines for the rest of their lives, with the exception of 13 years spent in Guelph. Upon his return to the community in 1934, Jack worked in the insurance business. Jack House is best known in St. Catharines for his activities related to sports in the community, most notably rowing. He served as president of the Canadian Association of Amateur Oarsmen and the Henley Aquatics Association. He was also a member of the Board of Education and an active member of the St. George's Church and of the Rotary Club. Lieutenant Jack House writes to his sweetheart Jane Aidy on April 13, 1917 and details the battle scene. My dear honey, You have no doubt read all about the big scrap and what the Canadians have been doing and wondering where your Jack is. Came through without a scratch, Janie, thanks to my good maker, and am now out for a rest and a clean-up, which I need rather badly. Particularly the clean-up. Haven't had my clothes off since I went in just a week ago yesterday, but it seems like an age. I know you want to hear all about the fight and what it feels like to be in one, and so I'm not going to answer your letter that I got today, which was very, very nice, dear, but we'll leave that till tomorrow. The day and the hour was set, and although we didn't know it then, it turned out to be daylight Easter Monday, and I'll tell you, Jane, Easter Monday was a great day for the Canadians. We pushed the Huns back about three miles and took a good many prisoners. We were sent into the line a few days beforehand to get everything ready. We worked hard in the mud and the water up to our knees most of the time, getting ammunition up, etc., and it's wonderful how cheery the fellows can keep under the very worst conditions. The night before the show, the attacking troops were all taken out into no man's land without a word being spoken, because we knew that if the Huns heard us, it would all be up, and it was rather an anxious time being out there, waiting for the final moment. Then, at 5.30, just at the first streak of dawn, the artillery opened up with a terrific barrage of shells of all sorts that fell like hail in front of us on Fritz's trenches. Up went his distress signals in all colors, and away we went with a rush into the road and into the flash. Just what my feelings were about then would be hard to describe, 
But they pushed on and on with a determination that nothing on earth could stand up against. Over the line after line of trenches, right up over the ridge and well down the other side, just stopping once to get together and a breath of air and on again. When the Huns came running towards us with their hands up yelling, Comrade, we collected them all in and made them carry wounded fellows back to the dressing station. Thank goodness the artillery had done their work well. The wire was cut and the ground we went over was just full of great shell holes. But Fritz seemed to be quite comfortable in his dugout, which in most cases were about 40 feet underground and well provisioned with canned meat and very dark bread which had a very peculiar taste. I tell you, Jane, Canadian Tommies are like nothing on earth. They are wonderful fellows. My Batman, Dr. Lacunyave, a South African vet, fired his bayonet, gave a whoop, and away he went, and I haven't seen him yet since. Another of my fellows got 17 Huns in a dugout, single-handed, and another shot a Hun officer in the act of throwing a bomb, and I have his revolver as a souvenir. As a matter of fact, I have a lot of nice souvenirs, if only I can get them out. We got our whole section across to its objective, with two or three killed, and a few wounded, and that's the terrible part of it, Jane. We did have a few casualties, but of course, they were nothing to what we gave him. I forgot to tell you that when we were going from our support trenches up to our front line, we went through a tunnel about 500 yards long, wide enough and high enough for two men to walk past easily and lighted with electric lights. This was the work of the engineers. There are a lot of other things that I would like to tell you, but I will save them until I see you, which I'm sure won't be many months now. However, I am enclosing you a cutting from a paper printed in Paris, which will give you some idea of what the French papers think of the show. Forgive me, dear, if I have talked a lot of this war, but I know it will interest you, and tomorrow, if I'm still out, I will take all of your letters and write you a good long answer. Regards to your people, and heaps of love to my own dear girl. Night-night. XO. Jack. The Memorial to Vimy Ridge is one of the most recognizable First World War memorials in Europe. It's an amazingly beautiful memorial that was designed by Walter Allward, who was one of Canada's most famous sculptors and designed a slew of other war memorials in the country, including the uh, National Memorial to the South African War, as well as a really beautiful war memorial in Toronto right on University Avenue. Allward started working on the Vimy Memorial after having won a competition for the design in 1925. It took him 11 years to complete the memorial at a cost of $1.5 million. One of the most important things about the memorial that Allward was very um, fastidious about was that he wanted the memorial to be made of white, white, white limestone, which apparently was very difficult to find. And so he spent a good chunk of that time, which is why they went over time, trying to find this white limestone, which he did eventually find. It's also adorned with 20 allegorical figures that represent faith, justice, peace, honor, charity, truth, knowledge, and hope. 
Uh, one of the coolest things, as an aside, if you go to the Canadian War Museum, you can see the original casts for the sculptures at the Vimy Memorial, and just even seeing those is incredibly moving. So I've never been to Vimy, but to be able to see those original casts is uh, is pretty amazing, uh, and a really neat opportunity if you can't get over to France, just to jaunt on over to Ottawa and see them at the Canadian War Museum. One of the key figures and one of the uh, most iconic figures on the Vimy Memorial is uh, Canada mourning her fallen sons. And it really talks about the wartime losses of the, uh, uh, the entire war, not just Vimy Ridge. And the other thing that's so moving about Vimy Ridge and the memorial there is that it also has inscribed on it 11,285 names of Canadians who were killed on French soil, but who have no known graves. You'll probably also know that the Menin Gate, which is in Belgium, also has Canadian soldiers' names engraved on it, and those are the Canadian soldiers whose lives were lost in Belgium who have no known graves. So the Vimy Memorial was unveiled in July 1936, right in the middle of the Depression. A lot of people took the time and the money to go overseas to uh, recognize the unveiling of this beautiful memorial, which is also incredibly telling about how much people really had Vimy as a, a kind of resonating event for them in Canadian history. The interesting thing about the Vimy Memorial is that it is a piece of land in the middle of France that is part of Canadian soil. So France has ceded the land that the Vimy Memorial sits on to Canada. And the, another interesting thing about it is that there are quite a few of the original battlefield features still on that large piece of property. So you can kind of get a feel for what these soldiers were experiencing while they were there. The memorial at Vimy Ridge has come to represent for Canadians today a tangible Canadian symbol that is really reflects our contribution to the world stage as its own country. All of our soldiers fighting together in one time and one place with great success at this action has come to represent for many people uh, a nation building experience and that's why Vimy Ridge is so popular today. Jack Hardy enlisted in St. Catharines on August 15th at the age of 17 years old after having lied about his age. He went overseas on the SS Cameronia and arrived in England on September 24, 1916. After being transferred to the Signal Corps, he was transferred to France and disembarked at Havre on August 27, 1917. Hardy was awarded a Good Conduct Badge on March 18, 1918. While in France, Jack's job was to drive the wagons carrying the prepared meals from the cookhouse located at the rear of the lines to the front-line trenches, a dangerous task. In April 1918, he was gassed, then wounded when his horse was frightened by shelling and kicked him in the groin. He was sent to the hospital, and when he was well enough to return to active duty, was transferred to England, where he served with the Canadian Engineer Reinforcing Depot, in Seaford, England, and where he would continue as a physical training instructor through the rest of the war until he returned to his home in Meryton in January 1919. He wrote about his wartime experiences in a field diary, including his experiences in the Battle of Vimy Ridge. 
April 9th. Fritz is still advancing and is within 10 miles of Amiens. We were awakened quite early this morning by shelling close by. It was a foggy morning with very little wind, and the shelling kept getting closer. High explosives with some gas shells. We could smell the gas, and we went for our respirators. I inhaled a little gas before I could find my respirator. The noise was deafening, so we thought that we should get our horses, and ourselves, out of there. It was quite a problem as the horses were so scared that some even fell down in fright. We never took time to harness or saddle them. We also turned some of them loose. We led the horses on the run across the fields towards Mount St. Eloy. Two horses were hit, and Corporal Beasley got a piece of shrapnel in the back. We went back in the evening and moved our wagon lines out into an open field. We are sleeping on the wet ground, as they don't want us to erect tents, as they would be too conspicuous. When we got time, we erected some tarpaulins about four feet high and camouflaged them with tree branches and shrubs. We tied our horses among some trees nearby. We used a large concrete gun emplacement for our cookhouse and equipment. Some of the fellows never showed up to help move the horses. Priestley came out to help, but he was so scared and nervous that he was sent into a dugout. The chaplain made fun of Priestley, but when a shell landed close, he jumped for a dugout and all but fell down. A number of the South Africans were killed or wounded a short distance from us. The 51st wagon lines were also moved away from the Arras Bethune Road. A German plane came from behind some clouds and shot down four of our observation balloons. He started near Rockland Corps and shot the last balloon down at Bouvigny. As he passed over us, I fired ten rounds from my Ross rifle. He got back to his own lines safely. All the anti-aircraft guns were firing at him. Bill Lyles and I have dug a small dugout so that we can get out of the way of shrapnel, as anything can happen around this sector. The Germans shell all parts of the Arras Bethune Road quite frequently. Bill and I have a small tarp to sleep in close to our little dugout. At least we feel a little safer. Our HQRS and our batteries are around Vimy Ridge. They moved last night, and our HQRS are located at the machine gun fort. These stories present a harrowing story of the St. Catherine soldiers who were involved in an important First World War battle 100 years ago. To learn more about the role of St. Catherine's soldiers in the First World War, and to hear more personal letters and diary entries and newspapers, please visit the First World War exhibit at the St. Catherine's Museum, Doing Our Bit, World War I from St. Catherine's to the Western Front. For more information about Vimy Ridge, please check the footnotes to this podcast for some suggested reading regarding the battle and the memorial. Make sure to spend time with us online by following us on Facebook at facebook.com slash St. Catherine's Museum, on Twitter and Instagram using the handle at STC Museum, and online on our website, stcatherinesmuseum.com, and our blog, stcatherinesmuseumblog.com. This episode of Museum Chat Live was produced by Adrian Petrie, Sarah Nixon, and Kathleen Powell. Museum Chat Live is brought to you by the St. Catharines Museum and the City of St. Catharines. Lieutenant A.W. Duncan, who was awarded the Military Cross, was killed in action on April 9, 1917. Duncan received the coveted decoration for gallantly leading his men when in command of a raiding party. In spite of heavy fire, the task was carried out successfully. 
The following poem appeared in the newspaper, remembering Duncan's life. In loving memory of Lieutenant Andrew Duncan of the 159th Battalion, killed in action April 9th, 1917, at Vimy Ridge. Servant of God, well done. Thy glorious warfare's past, the battles fought, the victory won, and thou art crowned at last. Soldier of Christ, well done! Praise be thy new employ. And while eternal ages run, rest in thy Saviour's joy. <laughs>